0: So today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 20 through 30. This can be found on page 812 of your Pew Bible. So sorry, page 812 of your Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 20 through 30. So then, when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the Church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep may god bless the reading of his word
1: at this time we're going to welcome up uh, sam and jessica to share about their trip to hopi Um, they're sharing on behalf of senior high I'm Jessica and Sam and we were on the Hopi team this year so Sam will start off with some logistics
2: hello um, as you heard we went to uh, Hopi land it is uh, located in Arizona yeah um, so the whole trip was like two weeks long and we went to Logan and we flew into Phoenix Arizona And then we, like, rented, like, a ton of vans, and we had to drive, like, five hours up to Land. It was awful. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It was a fun road trip. So the first week, we separated into two teams. One team was at Bakavi, and the other one was at Keems. And, like, we ran, like, kids' camp. Like, um, it was basically, like, VBS for this church. Kind of, like, the same thing. And, um, yeah, we did songs. We played games with them. It was fun. I liked it. Um, So the weekend came. We're reunited um, because we went to help out at the annual Christian Hopi camp meeting. It's like all the Christians from around Hopi land gather. It's like retreat for us, kind of. For them, not us. And we just went to help out. And, like, we saw, like, the two teams, Bakavi and Keems, we saw each other for the first time in, like, four days. It was so emotional because we, like... Just the team was like missed each other Um, So basically camp meeting is like Like a ton of like old Christians Like very old Because like the Christian community in Hopi is like dying and stuff So it was rough but we helped out with them We like cooked We ran the kids program for them there It was fun And yeah we helped out We're like assistants for them um so, the second week, we all ran a pro- we all like went together to Kukutsmovie Mennonite Church, and Kukutsmovie. We call it K-Town, cause it's much easier to say. <laughs> and it was on, uh, Third Mesa. So a mesa is like, like a giant plateau. It was like, so there was like three mesas in Hopi Land. So basically like three Grand Canyons. It was just like one, two, and three. And they're all like far away. So, we all met at the church, and we ran two camps. In the morning, we had a camp for kids ages 5 to 11. Um, It was in the morning from 9.30 to 12.30. It was called Hope Camp. So, we ran, like, we did skits for them. We sang songs. We had snacks, crafts, games. Ton of fun. It was a blast. And then, for the teens, it was at night. It was from, like, ages like 12 to 18. But then, we ended up getting some 20-year-olds. And it was like from seven to nine in the evening. It was called Hope Cafe. It was it was kind of weird because it was like my first time going. I had like a small group. I was like, it was weird because it was like a nineteen-year-old, a twenty-year-old, and an eighteen-year-old, and I'm seventeen. And they were just like, and I was trying to like lead a small group. It was awkward. So as your yeah, as I said, this is my first year. It was like. I went into, like, culture shock, like, I landed, we went into Hopi land, and my mind was like, like, it blew up, like, I was like, because I went to Lynn last year, so I was like, oh, I'm probably going into, like, a Lynn, but there's sand everywhere, and it was, like, not like that at all, it was, like, shacks, there was, like, dogs running around, and it was, like, lizards everywhere, there was bugs the size of my head, it was crazy, and, like... It took me a long time to adjust because I was like, "What? Where am I? What, what is going on?" But like, um, this trip made me realize that how like lucky we are. Like the people in Hopi, their religion and culture is so tied together. It's like if they if they want to convert to Christianity, it's like basically like saying if you want it's for us. It's like if you want to be a Christian, you're no longer Asian or something like that. So as they convert to Christianity. They would, be, they would be, like, kicked out of their homes and stuff. People would disown them. They would not be with, like, society would reject them. So it was difficult for, like, the Hopi people. So in, like, camp meeting, there was the elder, elderly Christian stuff because the Christian community in Hopi is dying. And, like, the younger kids, like, there were no songs from, like, Taylor Swift, Lil Wayne, and pop songs like that, but they would never heard of Jesus. So it was a struggle, kind of. But we got through to some of them. Yeah. And like what I learned is that like here we have like a massive church, a sanctuary, some slideshow stuff back here, got a worship team, and like we got counselors, we have like brothers and sisters in Christ who, who we can lean on and like just bring us back with Christ if we ever fall astray. We have like just like a huge family, a community of Christians here. But in Hopi, the people don't have that. Like they would, they had, if they were Christian, it was like a small, community, like, the churches at Bacavi and Keems, together, the congregation was a whole nine people. Yeah. This is, like, 900 people right here. So, like, just make the comparison. It's, like, basically, like, the front row right here and, like, nothing else. So, yeah. So, like, I myself learned that we should be, like, praising the Lord every single day for the whole Christian community we have here because in, in Hopi land, they don't have They don't have all that. And now, here's Jessica.
1: Alright, so I'm gonna share about some things that I learned at Hopi. So, something that I really learned is, um, you know, like, leave things up to God. That's really easy to say, you know, like, oh yeah, God's got my back, That's easy to say. But when you come up, come down to like, really to that point where you're struggling, your team's struggling, um, what do you do? You really have to leave things up to God. So, um, I went to Keynes so, um, we were really struggling because when we got there, we didn't know if we'd get any kids at the camp. Um, it was the first year we were going out to Keynes and we thought we would have one kid because, um, his grandparents brought him to church regularly. But then when we got there, we saw him, we were like, hey, like, are you coming to camp? And he was like, oh, I'm already going to another camp. So we're all like, okay, so we're going to have zero kids. What are we going to do? Um, we thought about, you know, maybe doing community service and stuff like that. But um, after going to door-to-door um, to, um, you know, hand out flyers to, like, tell people about the camp, spread the word, it um, turns out that by the end of the week we got 21 kids. So praise God that um, so many kids really came, and um, we got to minister to them. So it was really great. Um you know. Uh, Another thing that um, our team had trouble with was at Hope Cafe, um, just, like, getting the teens to open up to us was really difficult um, because, well, like, they're, like, the same age as us, so it's already, like, oh, like, we're peers. Um, For the kids at Hope Camp, um, a lot of the kids see us as, like, older brothers and sisters that um, can play with them, so they're a lot more, like, oh, can I sit on your lap and stuff? Like, can we, like, play? And so they're more open. But for the teens, like... um, It was more It was more difficult to get to them. Um, At cafe, like a lot of the younger and older teens, so like 12-year-olds, that side of the spectrum, also like 18-year-olds, they were more open. They like laughed at our skits and such. But um, a lot of the kids like in the middle, like 14 or 15, they were sort of on their phones all the time or like giggling with each other. And sometimes kids would like walk out, just like leave. So um, we sort of had to... um, talk to them get to know them better but we found that as we got more personal with them and shared more of our like personal testimonies and such um, they really opened up to us as well so we really had some great conversations with them um, and um, another thing that I really learned was that well I was really struggling um, to see the harvest um, seeing you know like the Hopi people like open up to Christ like in the past few years they've really been closing up to um, closing up to Christianity and they didn't re- they don't really want to listen to it much anymore um, so after much prayer and talking with my teammates and counselors though i realized that god really has his own timing and that maybe we'll be sowing the seeds but we may not be seeing the harvest so um, one teen, one of the team counselors also shared that there was a missionary couple that spent 10 years in the field and did not see one conversion. So that was really encouraging to me to, um, well, like, after they left, though, then everybody, like, converted. So that <laughs> was pretty cool. It's pretty encouraging to me. Um, um, and actually, just this past Friday, I got a text from one of the Hopi girls. Um, she was like, I'm really happy. And I was like, why? And she was like, I just accepted Christ. So... Um, Praise God that uh, prayers your answered. No, that was really cool, um, and it was really a big encouragement. Um, so it was just really encouraging to hear that, um, and we're just really praying for the kids and the teens, and also the adults that we met there now, and praying for a wonderful harvest there. So yeah, thank you. Thank you.
3: Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to page 812, as 1 Corinthians 11. You would recognize the scripture reading because it's the piece from which we get the communion uh, every week. Now, for those of you who aren't regular here, let me just explain briefly that we're doing something different right now. Typically what we do is we work our way through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. But over the summer, we're having a change of pace, and we're going back to the core values, the values that define us. You know, When we look at who we are as a community, as a congregation, what are the things that God is calling us to, to be, or to, what is the people he's calling us to be, what's the things he's calling us to do, what is it he want us to value as important? Now, Scripture has a lot of detail in it. But what we've tried to do is summarize God's calling for us in five core values. And we've been working our way through those values week by week. So if you take a look at the front of your bulletin, and maybe you've overlooked this before, but they're all on the front of your bulletin. Notice, first of all, the cross at the center of everything else. The cross is the foundation for everything that comes from it. Really, the cross represents us being God-centered. You know, it's as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, he wrote, that his goal was now, as always, that Christ be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So the question we ask, you know, over the summer we reflect on these things, we begin a new year basically with the academic year, and as we walk into the new year, now is the time to think about how do we want our lives to exalt Christ? Uh, How can our lives be Christ-centered? In what way are our lives focused on Christ so that we're doing something, we're being something, we're being people, we're doing things, we're caring about values that wouldn't be there if Christ were not the center? If Christ was at the periphery of our lives or if he wasn't in our lives, our lives would be different because of this. And really the question for each of us is to ask, what is that? What is that value that I have? What is that thing that I'm doing right now? How am I serving? Who do I care about? Just purely because of Christ. Not because it adds something to my life. Not because it's important to my family. Not because it's something that the society values. But what... Focus on one thing. What is it that's characteristic of my life? My values and my actions my passions, that's there because I'm God-centered. How do I want this to develop in the year to come as I serve God? What am I doing for God? Who am I being for God? Not for myself, for my family, or for my career, but for God. God-centered. Now, the, after the God-centered, you see some icons on the right side of the cross. The first icon is biblical. Our lives will be directed by one of two forces or powers or or guidelines. Our lives will either be directed by our culture or they'll be directed by Scripture. And what we're seeking to do together as a community is reflect on what God calls us to through His Word. We want to be biblical. God speaks to us most clearly and relevantly in the Bible. Therefore, we seek to understand Scripture accurately and apply it relevantly to our lives. uh, Jesus said in John 6, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And scripture records those words for us, words that give life, words through which the spirit works in our lives so that we can honor God. So think over this summer, when fall comes, what will you be doing to grow in your knowledge of Scripture, and in your obedience to it? What will you be doing that your lives might become more Bible-centered than they are now, more biblical than they are now? The last week, we looked at the third value, which is missional. Now, we'll spend a few weeks in missional because it moves in several different directions. But last week, because Pastor David is being missional this week, he's going overseas with a team to work in East Asia. Then last week because he heads up the evangelistic efforts on, on, in our church, he spoke on evangelism. And really the question here, you know, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, as he talks about his own evangelistic life in ministry, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So the question we ask is, who has God put into our lives for us to influence? Somebody who doesn't know God. You know, we're the ambassadors, right? Between God on the one hand and people on the other who don't know Him. Who has God put into your life for you to pray for? For do you to care about? For you to seek an opportunity to talk with Jesus in a natural way, not to force a conversation. But as you care for somebody, as you get friendly with them, as you get close together, then inevitably, you'll talk about what matters in your life. Inevitably, you won't have to look for opportunities. In the course of your conversations about many things, Jesus will come up. So really the question is, who has God put into your life who might not otherwise hear the gospel unless you have opportunity to talk to him? You're God's ambassador. Who has he put into your life? And now today we look at the fourth value, communal. Now, I intentionally scheduled this for communion. You see the etymological connection? The the verbal connection between communion and community? And it's there for a purpose. It's not accidental. Now, often we think about communion as a time where we connect emotionally with God for sending Christ to die for our sins and forgive us of our sins. But actually, in Scripture... Communion is communion in two directions. There's a vertical dimension to it and there's a, a horizontal dimension to it. You know, nowadays, because of germ theory and we understand how these things work, we don't like to eat, drink from a common cup. Right? You know, in some traditions they will still pour out a, a, a chalice of wine and everybody will drink a little sip. From this common chalice. We're we're kind of shy about doing that so we chop up all the bread to get, you know, uh, we put the the grape juice in little cups and we chop up the bread. We don't want to touch the loaf of bread and tear off a chunk because, you know, that's kind of gross to eat the bread that somebody, you know, 40 other people have torn off a chunk from. But there was a reason why the early church used a common cup and a common loaf. It's because they were a community. Communion is not something that just I do in my inner life, in my heart with God. It's something we do collectively. This is why we typically don't celebrate communion at home, except for shut-ins. Why we often don't celebrate communion as a, you know, as a subset, like in a home group. We celebrate communion as a church. Now notice how this plays out. You know, this is widely overlooked when we look at communion. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Page 812. And I want to show you how we've missed an important dimension of communion in 1 Corinthians 11, even though we celebrate it so often. Page 812, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, really all I'm going to make to this morning is two points about communion. The first point is this. Communion is essential, integral to Christian faith. I'm sorry, not communion. Community I'm going to do this often today. Community is essential to the Christian faith, integral to the Christian faith. We do not stand alone. We cannot stand alone. Scripture has no concept of individual Christians. It has only a concept of the people of God and individual Christians being part of that. So take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice this verse that we often read as we prepare for communion. Verse 27, chapter 11, page 812. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, often what we take this to mean, generally what we take it to mean is, you know, if, say, we're not believers and we eat communion, we're not, you know, we're not not doing it in acknowledgement of what Christ has done for us. So so this is bad and it risks judgment. Or maybe if we're frivolous and we take communion and we're goofing around, then maybe this is bad and maybe this is judgment on us. Or if we take communion and we've been, you know, Grandly sinning this week and then we just come and take communion without repentance, then this is bad because it offends Jesus and because this is his body and blood and it offends him. And and all of our concept of how we're offending at communion and what this verse means relates to our relationship with God and whether we're celebrating this as an act of worship. That's probably not what Paul was talking about. Paul was probably not here talking about repenting before we take communion. He was probably not talking about worshiping in the context of communion. He was probably not talking about confessing sins before we take communion. That probably wasn't in his view at all. Notice this phrase, because this tradition is so strong, verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Actually, there's two words in there that aren't in the Greek. And they're the crucial words of Christ. What the Greek says is, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Here's the difference it makes. Think about what was going on in Corinth. Take a look back at verse 20. What was the problem Paul was addressing? Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. They're having communion, and Paul says, It's not the Lord's Supper. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private meal, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. What's happening is, is they're having a potluck. They didn't have communion like this. We only have communion like this because of how they had communion. You know, they would have communion with a meal, and it was a potluck. They'd bring their food, they'd bring their wine, you know, water wasn't suitable for drinking in those days, you know they'd bring food and wine and they'd eat together. But some of them were slaves. And the slaves couldn't get there. And the guys who brought the food and the drink, they wouldn't wait for the poor people to come, the slaves to come. They'd start eating. They, instead of sharing their food, they'd eat their food. And they were wealthy. They could have good food. Plenty of wine. So they'd eat all their own food. They'd drink their own wine. By the time it came, that the poor were there, they were having their worship service, there was no more food left. And this is the thing that Paul is aiming at. He says, when you come together for communion, it's not the Lord's Supper. It's like eating your own meal at home. Their offense was not first of all against God. Their offense was first of all against each other. They weren't sharing in communion as a community. And then, because they were offending against each other, then that became the offense against God. So then, whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, whoever gets drunk by drinking too much wine, whoever gets full and doesn't leave any food for anybody else, this is what it is to sin against the uh, to eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. This is what it is in their context. It's again to sin against the body and blood of the Lord. And because the early church had so much trouble with this, they figured the only safe solution is take the meal away. Now, if we were going to do this biblically, we would actually have communion in conjunction with pizza later on in the chapel. But the early church was so afraid of offending Christ, and it took them so much, they struggled with this for so long, that they just simply separated communion from community, if you will. And so we try to, the only way we can bring communion into it is by eating and drinking together. But originally, it was meant to be a community celebration. And so we do it in the conjunction of our community. Originally, their offense was not directly against God, but first of all, against each other. So community is essential for a negative reason. But community is also essential for a positive reason. Look over on the other page, 1 Corinthians 12. Notice, when Paul wants to describe what we are together, when we get here like to get this together, what are we? One of his metaphors is body. And he means it literally. Body, there's, there's a reason why he takes this as a metaphor. And it explains from a positive direction why community is essential, why it's integral. Uh, do you know, uh, you know, you'd think, if you had to lose any toe, which toe would it be? If you, you know, if you were going, I mean, it's not like we have a choice and they have to have to choose, but I mean, if you got kidnapped and some guy, or, you know, wants to send your toe to some of your relatives to show you they've got to pay ransom, which toe would you choose to lose? A lot of people would say, well, the little one, it's the smallest. Yeah, it's the smallest, but it's not the least significant. You need it for balance. It's much harder to balance without your little toe there. And this is the whole metaphor that Paul is going to in First Corinthians twelve. Just as the first Corinthians twelve twelve, just as the body, though one, has many parts, and all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Not with Christ in heaven, but with Christ among us. We were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we we're all given the one spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of one part but of many. And we won't take the time to go through all of this, but what Paul is explaining is this everybody here is important. Those who stand on the stage, uh, those who serve communion, those who work with the children's ministry and the youth ministry, uh, those who do things behind those who run the parking ministry, those who do things discreetly that we never those who arrange for lunch. Everybody is important. The body cannot function well if it misses one piece. You can't function as well if you lose a finger. You can't function as well if you lose an eye or an ear. And and Paul's point is, all of us are crucial. As a community, we function together to the people of God, to do the work of God. And he makes the point that all those who think they're superior, that they got something public and they're, they're big, big and important, and they don't need anybody else, Paul says, no, you need everybody. And all those who feel like, well, I'm you know, really not, cons- I'm inconsequential, I, I can't do this stuff in public, I can't do dramatic stuff, Paul says, no, you're important. He says, nobody's unimportant. Everybody's needed. So from a negative perspective, offending the body, from a positive perspective, being needed in the body, Paul argues, community is essential. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. And now, the other idea we want to cover this morning is at least some characteristics. What does Christian community look like? And how does community differ? See, by the fact that we live in this country, And in this culture, we know some things about community. The fact that we have friends, we're in friendship networks at school, we're in friendship networks at work or outside of work in the neighborhood, we know some aspects of what community looks like. But Christian community is somewhat different. Sometimes starkly different. So I want to highlight three characteristics of Christian community that come from the New Testament. First of all, Christian community is marked by diversity. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Well, actually, he says it here in 1 Corinthians 12, too. Uh, We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free. Now, these were two of the most fundamental differences in the first century. If you were a Jew, you did not eat with Gentiles. They, did, they were disgusting. And if you were a Gentile, you would not socialize with Jews. They were arrogant. If you were free, you had status. If you were a slave, you were pretty much as much status as an animal. And Paul says, we don't divide our churches between Jew and Gentile. We don't divide our churches between slave and free. We don't divide our churches according to ethnicity. We don't divide our churches according to socioeconomic standing. Elsewhere, in Galatians, he says, we also don't divide our churches according to gender. There is neither male nor female. All are equal before God. So he took the three most fundamental differences in the, in the New Testament era. He, the three most fundamental things, that, attributes that separated people and said, none of these counts with Christ. All of them are important in the community of Christ. The Christian community is diversity. That's an essential attribute of a community to be diverse. Now, let's think about this just for a moment, because we, our name is what, anybody see a problem here? Chinese Bible Church. Well, actually, you will never, intentionally, you will never hear those words in EM. When I came here, I, welcome to the Chinese Bible Church of Greater, no, 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 no. So now we still have the brand, right? Welcome to CBCGB. And I really want to shorten it, welcome to CBC, because you've got to be here six months before you can say CBCGB. Too many initials. You know, welcome to Cabbage. We could go with Cabbage, some people use. Yes. Being a Chinese... No, no, no. Being a Mandarin... Having a Mandarin-speaking congregation is very important. When people came here in 1968, the immigration law... When this church started in 68, the immigration laws only changed in 65. There was a heap of racism here. Very important to have a Mandarin-speaking congregation because people want to worship in the language that they feel most comfortable with. Very important for people who are uh, uh, exploited or people who are discriminated against to have a place they can call home. But I have far more people in this congregation saying, I want to be part of a diverse congregation than I have people saying, I want to be part of a uniquely uh, ethnocentric Chinese congregation. So we want a Mandarin congregation. But our identity, we're we're, we're Chinese by happenstance. It just so happens. And I've maintained, I've said this to you before, we're Chinese, for most of us here, not me, you know, most of us, many of us here are Chinese only because it's still New England. I illustrate this week. This week, somebody living in Lexington came by to sell his house. You know, we have a, a, a bulletin board over there. And he wanted to sell his house, so he wanted to advertise on a bulletin board. He's an older, I don't want to offend anybody, he was an older white guy. And he came by with his little announcement to sell his, and, and that's fine, we do that. We, we run a service for community. But in the course of that, he, he, two or three times he told me there were other Asians in his building. As if that mattered to us. That we would only live in a building if there was other Asians in the building. Now, I think he thinks this because, you know, he, he must have been 80 years old, you know, so maybe he's still old style. But even New England is going to, is diversifying. Even New England is tanning. But boy, the church should be far ahead. But, so sometimes people are still uncomfortable. You know, I had one, I mentioned this, I, I had one guy come to me once to, come here once to give a presentation and he says, well, um, how do I behave? I don't, I've never been to a Chinese church. What do I do? And I had a chance to play games with him, boy. Once in a while, I self-edit. And I told them, do whatever you do at any other church, you know. So it, I have every confidence that all of you are welcoming. We haven't gotten diverse yet just because it's a little bit of a, you know, a, a mer- the majority culture has a hard time going to a m- minority culture church. We can easily go to a majority culture church. They can't come to us. Things will lighten up. Everybody's welcome here. We are incidentally, not intentionally Chinese within EM. Now, I'm not going to have time to finish all this, so let me make two quick points. The other two, I'll mention them briefly. Another critical characteristic of Christian community is a measure of depth and intimacy. Now, we don't expect this as we gather together for worship. That's not why we worship. What we do expect, though, what we do invite you to do is be a member of a small group or a home group because Christian community doesn't exist without a measure of depth and intimacy. Notice what the Apostle Paul again says in Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But did What James says in James chapter 5, my brothers and sisters, If any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We really have to be in community, in small, safe networks, confidential networks, where we can talk to each other about what's really going on in our lives. So that we can encourage each other to holiness Uh, What are you doing for God? What are you doing to serve people? We encourage each other in holiness. And when we wander into sin, we can call each other back. This is what God calls us to. And as we do that, then, what does James say? Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about us calling each other back to the faith. And the third characteristic of community I wanted to point out was an outward focus. Now, I think this is an area where we could use some work. Jesus said this, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they'll invite you back and you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Well, now, maybe Jesus overstated this a bit, and I don't think we want to take a giant step, but let's take a small step. Think about it. What makes a party Christian? If you want to have a Christian party, what makes a party Christian? I think our reflex would be, no drugs, no drunkenness, and no hooking up. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah, 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 I'm not advertising, okay. Jesus says... What makes a party Christian is you got a bunch of people there you don't know who can't do favors for you. When we get together in parties, is it always just our old-time friends? I think we're really good at caring for each other. Once we know each other, once we're comfortable with each other, we are really good at caring for each other. I'm fully confident in that. Just one example, you know, the, when, when our mothers have, have babies and then, then the community comes together and provides meals for them for the first month or so. This is an excellent ministry. But who do we sit with when we come to church? Or where do we sit? Do we always sit in a place we're familiar? Or do we look for somebody who's sitting alone? You can always tell visitors, right? There's always just one or two people sitting alone. Do we sit with our friends? Who do we talk to after the service? Do we talk to people who are kind of alone? Or do we talk to people that we haven't seen and we're really happy to see? You know, we have a real challenge here. Studies show That people can maintain more or less six close relationships. And once you get your six friends filled up, then you basically don't want any more. And you basically kind of put people off. So here's the thing. If we're going to follow Jesus in friendship, then what we've got to say is, okay, I got, I can only handle six friends. And I got already six and I'm going to ignore two of them because I want to make some new friends. And that's hard on them. It's hard on you. It's just it's something we gotta constantly be doing. What, who's in your small group? Who do you invite to meals or to parties? Jesus says we invite community outside the church, not just one another. We invite people inside the church we don't know, not just our close friends. These are the characteristics. At least three characteristics of communion, of community. One is diversity. I think that will come with time and with our welcomeness, our our warmth toward others. Depth and intimacy. Join a small group if you're not in one. Small groups, don't just talk about the good things. Talk about the tough things. And an outward focus. Not just hanging together with our friends. Friends are valuable, but that's not Christian. Friends plus making new friends is Christian. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would be in our lives, shaping us. Jesus, we ask that we might do communion and community as you call us to. In your name we pray. Amen.